This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Thank you for joining us and yourself on this journey towards product mastery. So glad to be taking this journey with you. Today, we are talking about creating disruptive products that challenge existing industries. And a classic example of this is the digital camera that disrupted the film industry and contributed to the collapse of Kodak. Disruption occurs when we think of how a problem can be solved in a completely different way. And it's typically accompanied by new technology or maybe the novel application of technology. Our guest is creating disruption in a very old industry, which is the insurance industry, and his name is Conrad Hempel. And uh, Conrad, you might have to help us with that last name just to do, yeah, do, do honor to it. Uh, Conrad, how do you pronounce it? It's Heimpel. It's Heimpel. German. Heimpel, it. yeah. yes. Conrad is the VP of product for Get Safe, which is based in Heidelberg, Germany. I have had the pleasure of visiting Germany and enjoyed Heidelberg very much. So very glad that you can be with us today and uh, help us on this journey of how to understand disruption, Conrad. First, for listeners, we do take detailed show notes for you. We also prepare a one-page action guide for you to help you put into action the key takeaways from our discussion. And you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash three. Six, eight. Conrad, thanks for joining us. Hello, I'm super glad to be here and talk to you today. I'm super glad that you are too. So, and, and I know timing-wise, this is a little bit later in your day. Thanks for making time for this. First, I'm curious about your interest in disrupting the insurance industry, right? As you lead product there for that uh, company. Tell us about how this came about. Yes, sure. Happy to. So to be honest, I wouldn't have imagined like 10 years ago when graduating from university, I created in, in physics and I didn't think about like I'd ever end in insurance, but I did. And there's a good reason for it. And I think it's also tied to a very personal story of mine because I was, when I was born, basically there was a, a mistake from a doctor and I was born with a like walking disability, right? And this like prediction were not very good for myself. But in the end, like 20, like 30 years later, I can do pretty much anything I want. And this is basically due to the very good health insurance that we have in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. If we wouldn't have that, and if my parents at that point in time wouldn't have that, that would have been a totally different story because like treatment and surgeries and all of that, that easily cost like hundreds of thousands of euros in the end. And I think this is, this is showing what kind of a difference insurance can make in people's life. I, I, I had it myself, right? I experienced it myself. And I think this basically providing existential and fundamental coverage against risk that you cannot control in the end, that's, that's the core idea of insurance, right? And basically that in society, like putting that, what you need to pay for it on the shoulders of the whole society of many people to save few of them who have bad luck, basically. That's the whole idea. And I think it's beautiful. It's a great achievement. And that's what makes it interesting for me because it's a relevant and big challenge and problem for people. And kind of the industry got a bit out of, out of its way because I think it has still a very bad reputation. And one reason I'm in it is to help resolving that, right? Letting it have a good reputation 
and that in the focus, like focusing, and that's what we do at GetSafe, at the core, like making it accessible for everyone, easily accessible, this kind of coverage, to provide this coverage like I discussed it or explained it a few seconds ago. Yeah, I, I like the personal connection there, the interest in innovation. I mean, the interest in and disrupting the insurance industry and helping make this easier, innovating in the insurance industry. It is a very old industry that needs some innovation. I have had the pleasure of working with some insurance companies, and there's a lot of practices and barriers in place to that make it hard for them to do things differently, it seems like. And at least here in the States, in America... Yeah. It's just kind of a black box in some sense, right? I, you know, if I have any major medical work that needs to get done, I usually get a bill from the provider, and then the insurance typically pays a much smaller percentage of that bill. And things just—I I don't really kind of understand, frankly, how things work the way they they do. And I would like for that to be easier and certainly more transparent between the provider and me and what the insurance company is doing. So how are you going about this? I, I saw in your title, you're the VP of product as well as yeah. data. And so you're, yeah. you're making use of technology and data here for this. Tell us how you're approaching this. Yes, de definitely. So I think like how we approach this, I think we're basically making use of the, the megatrend that we see over the last decade or decades. And that's that people started and start um, steering their life from within their smartphone. I think you can, you have been seeing that, like you saw that in, in different areas, but it didn't happen yet for insurance. And there's no reason why, because insurance in the end is a, there's no reason, like there's no physical good that's being exchanged, right? So there's no reason why you can't fully digitize it um, and bring it to people's smartphones. And basically that is what we do, right? And have been doing for the past years with, with great success. And in the end, for the user, it's we're building this this app, right, where people can buy and manage their in their coverage, and also claim like file a claim if something happens. So we're digitizing the whole insurance value chain and make it like radically simplify it and make it tr more transparent and easier and faster for customer to like in in in, in any dimension. Okay. So I have some questions about that, but first I realized I think I need a little context. Is this yeah. for insurance? Is this for consumers in Germany? Is it for consumers in countries where insurance is provided as part of the a government healthcare plan? Or is it for a, a different audience? Or uh, Tell us about your market segments. We're, we're B2C, right? We currently offer a broad range of insurances in Germany and also started in recently in the UK. We currently focus on PNC insurances, which is mostly something like car insurance, home slash contents insurance, mm -hmm. liability in Germany, which is a big thing, legal coverage, stuff like that. We're not yet offering um, health insurance, but it's definitely something that mm -hmm. we will do in the future as we want to be a holistic insurance provider for the user. What are you doing in this process, though? I mean, digitizing it, bringing it to a, a smartphone, frankly, doesn't sound very disruptive, right? So what is going on to make this a better experience for the consumer yeah. to actually be thinking about, well, is this really going to disrupt how we think about insurance today? Yeah, it sounds very simple, but in fact, it is. it can be quite complex. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, because just the... The, the insurance is an area which is highly regulated, which is good, right, to a certain extent, because there are, for most rules, there are reasons, but it's highly regulated. And I think one, one thing that 
I learned about insurance is, which adds to the kind of complexity that you need to cover is, which is very, very different from any, let's take e-commerce as an example, is that any action you or transaction you have with a customer, you need to make sure that it's like 100% traceable to any kind of touch points you have with them in the future. Right? And that's different to e-commerce. Let's take that as an example. To extend that, let's take a, I don't know, like a shoe store, online shoe store. You can just buy a pair of shoes. It's going to be sent to you and transactions over, right? And that's it, right? And if, if, if you don't make it right, then you make it right the next time, right? And you send out a voucher and everyone's happy. We can't do that in insurance because we need to make sure if someone buys the insurance, we're obliged to provide this coverage, right? So we can't lose any kind of information. We need to make sure no matter how we evolve the system and iterate our whole platform, we need to make sure that everything is 100% backward comp compatible. And uh, I think this, together with the regulatory uh, stuff that we need to do, this is bringing lots of lots of complexity. And you can't see that, right? It, it might feel like two clicks for user, which is great. But in the background, it might be like thousands lines of code that makes it code that makes that possible. And I think this is also this kind of complexity is what incumbents uh, like old insurance companies failed to simplify for the user. And data plays a large role in it because, I mean, what we make use of is that we digitize every touch point, meaning that we collect the right data at every touch point and can collect it in one place. And that's just something that old insurance companies just do not have. And it's like huge effort for them to to do it for for the past like what happened in the past years right and that's kind of the that's the advantage that we have and that we can use to be way faster in digitizing and making it way simpler for the user uh, to use insurance this is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com slash love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. I would expect one advantage here, having worked with some insurance companies, is just the legacy systems that are in place. So the insurance companies have very large information systems applications that they use. And typically they have several and they're not integrated together because the companies have yeah. grown over time. 
And like when I personally go to talk to my insurance uh, agent, uh, I've not done work for their company, but a uh, very, very large company known in, the, known in America, that they have more than one system they have to go into to find data on me, right? And I, I have asked them about this and they said, yeah, they've told us this a, a big IT change is coming. They're going to integrate all this together. That's a very complicated thing to actually get done. And just not having the legacy things that you're tied to, if you could rebuild the system from the start, that's a big advantage. So, so I, I get that part of that. But how are you bringing data into this, right? You have, you have data scientists on the team. How is that impacting the work you're doing too, right? Is there, I'm trying to uncover if there's anything really fundamentally different besides building the user experience differently. I think there are different places where we currently already make use of that data and places where we will make use of it. And it's very clear that we, we're going to be in a great position in the near future. Places where we already do it is, you, you said that before, right? Picking that up, having transparent what this insurance mm -hmm. contract means to you, right? What it really covers, what it doesn't cover. This is not easy, right? And it's, it's one of the core problems that we solve for the user. And like the advantage we have is we can just, we collect data on how people, for example, read through explanations, right? And we can just use that data to iterate and optimize, for example, explanation text or how we present information to the user and make it more like easier for them to understand what they're covered against, right? This is a very simple example, but it's very powerful because uh, you can't do that if you send out like physical letters to people with, I don't know, like 17 pages explaining what, what's in there and what's not. And you'd never get any feedback, right? So it's really collecting behavioral data and also just asking customers, collecting customer feedback to make every step of the process more transparent and even more simple, right? Mm -hmm. That's definitely one thing that we do. And then there is like a second step, and this is based on that data, and we're already into that, is recommending what the right coverage for each individual might be, right? So we know where people live, for example, we can... There's data about what kind of risks are in that in that area, and we can recommend the right coverage for those people, right? Something that usually, like in, in the old world, an insurance agent would do, right? They would sit together, they would ask right. questions about their life, and then after like one hour of discussion, they would they would recommend some coverage, right? And we can do that way faster because we have data um, about the customers, right? And we can recommend the right coverage, as I said, for each individual. And then obviously like the biggest, biggest part of insurance is in the end managing risk. And what we can do, and I think puts us in a great advantage in the future is we can connect any kind of touch point that we have with the customer to the risk that they have in the end, right? So we are in very good shape to make way better risk predictions about, about our customers and segments. And based on that, provide them better coverage, change the way we ask, like we handle their claims if something happens, because we might already know that we need to pay attention to a special detail or not. And I think this is all something that you can't do if you don't have the dots connected, right? right. Which, as you correctly described, most insurance companies do not have. Okay. I'm curious about how the, your data scientists fit into this puzzle, right? So just like maybe if we think about your product teams, do you have data scientists as part of the an intact product team? 
you know, working alongside the developers, or do you have them separately, you know, basically providing, you know, responding to developers' needs and providing inputs? Just what's that, how, what's that integration like? The right answer it is it depends. Like our, how we structure our teams is we put them into squads and each squad runs a different area of our product. And each squad consists of a product manager, like an engineering manager, a couple of engineers, designer, and then a data person if needed, right? Because what we see is for some for some areas of the product, we can apply and we are applying real data science. For other areas, it might be just like a data analyst doing more, more like descriptive analysis of what's happening, right? So it really depends which area of the product we're, we're talking about. But yes, the idea and our vision is that every squad has just a dedicated or several dedicated data people taking care of everything that product area needs. Yeah. Okay. We're seeing that more in product teams, right? The data scientists being mm-hmm. part of product development and being either integrated actually in the product team or as a resource for them. And some of the challenges there is just getting people used to the language that's used by both groups, right? And and helping us as product people know how to make requests with data scientists. And I think the closer they're related to our work, the easier that becomes over time as well. That That, that is something and maybe like something that we experience as and we just did is if a data topic within a product area gets bigger, then you can decide to make it an API, right? And we just found it like a dedicated data product squad, right? It also has a product manager, but the only goal is to provide predictions. But it's in the end, again, just a squad, right? That's taking care of that API providing predictions. It also needs kind of a product manager. It needs engineers and it needs a couple of data scientists. Yeah, so so building a data capability and pulling exactly. in the product resources that they need for what they're doing as well. Do you see artificial intelligence, machine learning as part of this? I don't know if you're using that now or how you see that coming into into play in the work over time. Definitely, yes. We already have that ongoing and I you know, I'm not a fan of just throwing machine learning somewhere. I've been a data scientist myself. Mm-hmm. I I'm not a fan of throwing machine learning just on any problem because you always need to I'm a fan of asking, like, which problem are we solving? And is it the smartest way of solving the problem, right, in the first place? And mostly the answer is no, right? But if you've gone through, like, a couple of iterations trying to solve the problem, you come to a point where you say, hey, now we're, like, kind of out of rules, but we, we pointed or pinned down the problem very precisely, then it might be time for for real machine learning and AI. And we, we have that like in one area. It's it's about like predicting the right price for the user. Right. We've gone that way, right? Starting very manual, like in an Excel sheet, literally. I, I've been part of that. And now we're applying real machine learning, right? But I, I'm, I'm a super huge fan of starting simple, learning, iterating fast, learning, and then applying machine learning when, when you see it. It's the next step that provides value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's good applications there. And when, when you talk about, you know, the the user experience needs to be as simple as it can, because you're basically removing the insurance agents from the process. And I know in my last review I had with uh, my insurance agent and went to her office and, you know, to talk through what we're doing. She asked a couple of questions that, that resulted in lowering what I'm paying now, right? Which mm-hmm. she didn't have to ask, right? But I really appreciate that we figured out a way to lower what I'm paying for insurance because my needs have changed a little bit. 
you know, surfacing some of those things is important. And I thought in time, we may very well see machine learning take a more of a role in that if we're in essence trying to create a better insurance agent. Yes, uh, totally. Right. And and this is, I mean, we, we also start simple What I, when I talked about right recommendations. It's simple to say, hey, people that are about the same age might have the same demand, right? But that's mm -hmm. a very rough rule. And you can start with it. You can do it. You can see like what you get from it. But at a certain point in time, definitely an algorithm like machine learning will be better in deciding what kind of coverage a user might need, right? No, no question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully drive some costs out of the system as well. About maybe it was a year ago, we had an interview on the podcast, which was a user experience review of Lemonade. And, and mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I assume you're familiar with Lemonade. I, I'm not very much, except yeah. we did that UX kind of breakdown from their what they're doing right now. And so, so Lemonade is offered in the States as a direct-to-consumer sort of insurance product. And I'm not even sure what space they're in. I think car insurance and, and the like. But nonetheless... Yeah. How are you going about learning what the user experience should be, right? Simplifying this, figuring out uh, as people come to a smartphone and want to interact with that to meet their insurance needs and get information. How do you go about discovering how to make that a better experience? Definitely, definitely key here is just to uh, talk to users a lot and listen to their feedback, right? So by the way, I, I know Lemonade well, they also offer their product in Germany since I think like one year and it's a great product. And, but I think it's all about listening to users. And what we do is like in each, when each kind of little journey in our product ended, we ask for feedback users and there like lots of users are super happy to give their feedback and we collect all of that and we analyze it, right. And try to see patterns and so on, right. If we see something, then we also might jump on calls with users and just talk to them to really get to in the end the core and the intent of what they what they need mm -hmm. right so it, i think it's all about putting the user in the in the center and starting at the user asking for feedback listening to them jumping on a call and so on right and that's what our products what's are doing on a on a daily basis Yeah, I think some of this is overly complicated at times. And, you know, I'm sure you're collecting data through the application also, right, about what they're doing and uh, instrumenting products as much as we can to get data is really valuable. Over time, the data itself becomes valuable, right? So, you know, Tesla is one of my favorite examples. They've been collecting data on cars now uh, for what, a dozen years. And so that should put them well in the lead for building autonomous vehicles that actually work well, right? Because they just have more data than anyone else to work from. So having the data is important. But I, I think sometimes we overly complicate how, how to learn what the customer wants. Because if we just talk to the customer, if we observe what they're doing as well, I'm a big fan of observations, uh, and uncover the problem that they're trying to solve, we can usually find some insights rather quickly that other competitors haven't realized because they haven't paid attention yet. And we can build better products that create more value for the customer. Uh, I, I totally agree, right? It, it's easy to, to get lost in the details, I think, right? But, and, and, and that's, I, I mean, it's kind of common knowledge, but also my experience, if you like interview about a certain topic, like five, six people, you mm -hmm. should get the point, right? You, you should get it. If not, then you, you may some kind of a mistake right so definitely definitely a key to there i think one other observation that we made is 
it's just crucial to talk to customer service a lot. Insurance is not easy, right? And it is super hard to make it simple and transparent and everything. And we still receive like tons of calls and emails a day for from people asking about very specifics, right? You you can't imagine how much how much weird stuff is happening out there in the world and that's connected to insurance, possible insurance cases. And people like it happens and people have questions about it. And carefully just listening to that and see what they what they really ask about, it reveals so much. So that's not the greatest source of like inspiration, right? Customer yeah. service. Yeah, un uncovering what that path is that leads them to think about uh, insurance in the first place. Because none of us wake up in the morning going, oh, I'm really excited. I get to go buy insurance today, right? No. It, it, it's not like <laughs> buying not, not a car yet, or something you might, you know, a new laptop, something you might actually be excited about. But yeah. the, that understanding that customer journey of events that leads to, oh, yeah, I need to look at insurance. I need to see what my options are. It's time for me to see if I can get it cheaper somewhere else. You know, whatever the events are that lead up to this are important. Let's talk about a scale, right? So I, I, I don't know what stage of a business GetSafe is in right now, but, you know, you, you have to scale this application. We're going to assume we have more and more customers coming online, you interacting with your smartphone app to meet their insurance needs. How do you think about what goes into your product as you scale? Because if this was a traditional information system sort of project that might be more internal to insurance company, probably we just frankly keep throwing features in and we don't think too much about what that means to the overall product, right? Because we have insurance agents involved and we can train them on using what they need and and if they don't need the feature, that's not a big deal. But for a direct-to-consumer model, it's a much bigger decision about every feature you put in, if that's a wise thing to do or not. How do you think about, about doing that over, over time? So first of all, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of iterating fast, like putting out a first version very quickly that solves at least a part of, the, of a problem that we identified for the user and then learning from it right so i'm 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 really against like putting away i don't know 10 developers for half a year building something big and then mm -hmm. having a big bang and seeing that it doesn't have any impact right i i think yep. that's that's just not a good practice uh, you should try to avoid that so it's all about iterating fast and closely listening to data and the feedback that you get. And I think this is kind of the mindset and, and the process that we try to get all, all the squats in, right? And I think that's the most important thing on a daily basis. I think there's a more like long-term, more strategic part where what, what we've done is we try to find the indicators, the metric in the end, that well from product usage where we see a good correlation um, to business outcome in the end, right? So what we did is it's also one of the data scientist tasks or team tasks that we had projects in the past is predicting customer lifetime value. And we try to see correlations with like important product metrics. Something like to give you a very specific example, how does the processing speed of of claims, basically. So if you had a claim as a customer and you file it with us, how does the processing speed until we're finished with it correlate to, in the end, like happiness of the customer and business outcome? So what does it mean for how long people will stick to us? What does it mean for how many other products people will buy with us after having that experience, right? And we can see very strong correlation of how fast we are and obviously how happy and 
how, how, how in the end loyal customers are to us. And we can even quantify it to see like how much can we actually invest into that and what's going to be the return from it, right? So we're really trying to make business cases and validate them upfront with data before investing in a, in a big thing because making those processes faster is very hard, right? And you need to, need to be sure that in the end it provides value to the customer and to the business. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're going to approach or we're trying to approach bigger features, right? Yeah, I really like what you said about value to the customer and value to the business. Those two things go together. I tend to lead with value to the customer because I believe if we are creating more value for them, we'll see that return to the organization. But where do we do that, right? If we have strategic objectives that we know will, if we achieve them, will result in us being a sustainable organization, meaning that we can keep serving the customer, which is a positive thing, and we can keep employing the people that we have, which is a positive thing, then that gives us direction for our efforts as well. And when it comes to innovation, it's useful to have direction. So um, putting the that kind of double-sided value equation together is really helpful, right? Create value for the customer and create value for the organization. Totally. And I mean, this is, in the end, we don't have unlimited funds, as a, especially right. as a startup no or scale-up, right? So we need to take decisions where to invest in. We'd love to invest in every single detail, make it perfect. But in the end, we need to take those. As we're wrapping up, any advice for product managers that haven't started working with data scientists yet or using data in a, a really meaningful way as part of the work they're doing? From my experience, product managers need to be great in balancing things. And one thing I think is balancing gut feeling and data, right? I think it's it's all about minimizing the uncertainty of a, of a wanted outcome. And it's product manager's job to decide when when you have enough data to base your decision, right? And like my, my advice is that you should be, if possible, strict about using data and doing proper experiments and measuring the success. Uh, I know it often and saw it often gets lost in like operational chaos. But in the end, people will ask you like, hey, how did you move the metrics and what did move the metrics? Right. And you need to be able to answer it to to be successful and to move forward. And the only way to really, truly answer it is to be careful and strict about measuring it. So make sure that you have a plan for that before you start anything. That would be like my my biggest advice here. Good. Yeah, and I think it's useful to think about the different kinds of data we have. Um, I find a lot of value in qualitative data. And if someone is wired as um, as a statistician, they might see less value in that. But early on in the process, as you said before, you know, talking to six people, you uncover some insights typically just by talking to six people about the problem that they're having. And that can lead us to some um, good new paths to pursue, where maybe later we do some testing that actually gives us statistical data. But just recognizing there's value in both about where, depending where you are in the process, I think is helpful. I 100% uh, agree with that. It, it really depends on the stage. And I think for me, I always try to take that decision based on like, how easy is it for me to get uh, like quantitative data? And early on in the process, it might be very hard and it's not worth the effort, right? So you need to base like first decisions on qualitative data. I think you have no other chance. Later on in the process, you should really, it should be easy if you set it up the right way to collect quantitative data and then it's easy to base your decision on that, right? So 100% agree here. 
Yeah. One of my favorite examples is Gatorade, who changed their business model and their business direction based on interviews with 12 high school athletes, right? A, a, a dozen high school athletes, and they changed the direction and was quite successful. So there is data in small numbers still, useful information in small numbers. I asked you to bring an innovation quote and share that with us and tell us what that means to you. What do you have for us? Yeah, I, I, I had to take something from a physicist as I created in physics myself. And mm -hmm. I took some from, from, it's attributed to Einstein, Albert Einstein. Don't know if that's, if that's uh, the case, but nevertheless, it's, he, he supposedly said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. And I think this is super great because it really, I totally believe in that. And, I try to apply that whenever I can, because I believe is that if you are very clear about the problem, then the solutions get very easy. But it's all about really understanding the problem. And I think people often confuse it with being, you know, like not solution oriented, but I think it's something completely different. I think if you, if you really understand the problem, then there's no discussion about being solution oriented because the solution is just clear. It just, lays in front of you if you really nail the problem. And that's why I'm such a big fan of, of that kind of approach. And I think it should be like the core of every product manager's thinking. Make sure you really understand the problem. Do not start to, to put in solutions before you haven't been at that point. Yeah, it's an excellent point. I, I like both. To, to me, that there's two uh, ways to interpret that quote. And it's also one of my favorite quotes attributed to him that we need to think about reframing the problem typically, right? Our, our initial presentation of the problem is typically not the actual problem. And just spending that time talking about, is this really the root cause that we're addressing? Do we need to reframe this in, in another sense to get our hands around this better to something's off? And then as you said, if we really have a clear understanding of the problem, the, the solution becomes self-evident, right? So great, I appreciate you sharing that with us. How can people find out about the work you're doing, about the work that are at SafeGet and any other resources you wanna share with us? Sure, uh, easiest thing is to go to our website, it's hellogetsafe.com or visit us on LinkedIn, it's Get Safe. And my apologies, I think I said safe get a moment ago. It is get safe oh. is the correct name of the company here. It's, it's get safe, exactly. So hellogetsafe.com get, hello um, or our LinkedIn page. We also do have a Medium blog where mostly our engineers post about the tech things that we do, the great things that we do. And I just like ch check it out. And if you have any kind of question, ping me on LinkedIn, right? You find me, uh, you know my name now, just ping me. Okay, your profile on LinkedIn. Excellent. We will make sure all those resources get into the show notes of this episode, and we'll have the links there to make it easy for listeners to get to. And also, as you are listening, please remember, we do take detailed show notes for you. and We provide that one-page action guide to help you put into action right away the takeaways, key takeaways from our discussion today with Conrad. You'll find that at productmasterynow.com slash 368. Conrad, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you as well, and have a great weekend. Thanks. And everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.